Father, thanks so much for today. Thank you for uh, this beautiful sunshine. Thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for this time that we could set aside to honor the idea of fatherhood. And thank you for being our father. Now, as we move into our time of message, we ask that you bless our time. Help us be able to see you clearly. Help your words be spoken. This we pray. Amen. So as I was looking and, and looking up stuff for Father's Day through the week, it's really fun to see how different areas of the world participate in Father's Day. That one article I was reading was from a, a guy from the UK, and he was lamenting how in, in the UK often people, there's not really a lot of hoopla that goes on. He said, if you're lucky, you might get breakfast in bed, but more often than not, it just kind of goes by. He did uh, tell a story about an, maybe a couple of regions in Germany uh, that celebrate Father's Day, and, and uh, they're, they, it's Vatertag. I don't know if I'm getting the accent right, but uh, that's Father's Day, or, or Monertag, Man's Day. They, they conflate the two. And in certain regions, what ends up happening is you'll get a group of guys, and they'll pack themselves into vans or wagons, and then they'll pack the remaining space of the wagons full of, like, spirits, beer, wine, and, and meat, and then head off up into the hills, for where no doubt shenanigans will ensue. And undoubtedly, this is also not a coincidence why situations or instances of drunk driving and stuff like that happen to spike on days like this as well. It's, it's an unusual way of celebrating Father's Day. Or if you're from China, maybe you'll know that Father's Day once was celebrated on August the 8th. And if you think the Chinese name, our word for eight is Ba. And so it's the eighth month and the eighth day, so it's Ba Ba. And Father, there we go. Yeah, we got some people getting that, right? Ba Ba. So it used to be on August the 8th, but since then it's been changed. So it's fun to be able to think of how Father's Day is is celebrated or interesting, maybe would be a better way of saying, uh, how it goes around. As is mentioned, this is my first Father's Day with Cadman X utero, and as Andrew already established, he's got some good Father's Day jokes. His game is good. Mine is a little weaker. So last year, for my first technical Father's Day, when Cadman was still in utero, I got a dad's joke book. So did you hear about the new movie, the new pirate movie that's coming out? It's rated R. <laughs> or yesterday, Sarah and Alyssa Weimaster were doing some painting around the house, and do you know what's blue and smells like red paint? Blue paint. Yes. Or finally, I noticed uh, there's some guitars up here today, and there's a guy who's selling uh, a broken guitar. No strings attached. So you can see it's, it's, it, my game is, is uplifting today. It's, it's getting better. Although I'm a relatively new dad, though, I've had time to reflect this week on fatherhood and, and what it takes to be a good dad, and, and I've had some great examples here. And After reflecting, I think I pretty much got it figured out. I, I, I'm assuming now that I'm going to be a perfect dad because I look at how you know a lot of you guys are doing it. I, I've, I haven't read any books. I've read a couple blog posts, and you know I, I'm just not repeating the same mistakes my dad made, right? And simple, right? Right? Right, guys? <laughs> well, we, we obviously know that that's not true, right? Like, that, that ain't going to happen. There's no such thing as that perfect dad. And it's interesting to think about because often 
We want to take this idea of God the Father and we want to put our dad, if our dad wasn't the greatest, and we want to, we want to contrast them or we want to, we want to compare them, don't we? And sometimes that help or that hurts our idea of looking at God the Father. If we, if we think, oh, because our dad wasn't the best, then this dad, maybe he's not the best either. But for me, I think this is an excellent reason to think of God as Father, because God is the greatest conceivable being. God is perfect. God is amazing. And especially if we, because my, my dad wasn't perfect. And, but I know that I can look to my Heavenly Father as perfect. This gives us something to shoot for as men, if we're wanting to be a father, looking to God and some of his attributes, some of the wonderful ways that we can do that. And not only that, but it gives us an, a, a taste. It gives us a way of looking at God's intimate, relational character that sometimes gets missed when we think about God. We think about God being distant. But in fact, God relates to his creatures, relates to us in an incredibly intimate, wonderful way. And, and by looking at God as Father, this is one of the ways we can do that. God does relate to us, and this makes him a loving Father. He is the creator and he's the provider. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 reads, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live. God shows love and he shows compassion. Hosea 11, 1 says that he loves his child Israel. And he, out, of his, or out of Egypt he called his son. He had that deep, deep, intimate relationship with his children. And because of that, he also disciplines and wants to correct his children. He wants them to do well. So in Proverbs 3, he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. and Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. It's this wonderful relationship of wanting to see his children improve, so he lovingly corrects them and disciplines them, as any good father would. He comforts those in need. Psalm 68 says he's a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows. It's a beautiful picture of God wanting to protect those who need the protecting the most. And finally, Jesus himself talks in Matthew 7 about father is a good gift giver. He says, you sinful people, so you people who don't know perfection, who aren't perfection, you are able to give good gifts to your children. So how much more would this being, with this amazing father who is perfect, how much more would he be able to give good gifts So these are some of the attributes, some of the wonderful ways that God is relational and relates to his creation, relates to us as a heavenly father. And like good children, we want to emulate, we want to look after what he's doing and try to follow after that. Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God. So when we want to look to him as being a good father, we want to see what he's doing. So today we're going to look at a few fathers in the Bible. We're going to look at a few of the, the men there, and, and we're going to see if we can't glean some of the things that they were able to do and, and, and look to them for a bit of a model as they looked to God. And we're also going to be hearing from a couple of guys in our, in our congregation as well. So the first person we want to look at is Abraham. Uh, in chapter 17 of the book of Genesis, uh, Moses calls him the father, or, uh, he's, uh, God, Moses records that God says, I'm gonna make you a father of nations. And Abraham was an interesting character because he didn't start off as Abraham, he started off as Abram. And he was up in a place called Ur, off in the, uh, way off from where the, he would eventually end up, and God called him out of Ur. He didn't call him on the phone, I don't, 
think they had very good reception up there. It was pretty far up. But he did call them out of there and asked them to come and say, leave your homeland, leave your family. I have something in mind for you. And Abram, in an incredible showing of trust in God, decides to leave his homeland, take his wife Sarai, and they are well advanced in age, take his nephew Lot and his family, and they moved on and came through Canaan. And, and Abraham, it was a lot of stopping and starting as far as being able to trust God wasn't as Those of us who know the story know that Abram had some troubles. He ended up in Egypt and he lied and said that his wife was his sister. He actually ended up doing that twice uh, in the stories that we hear about him. And so that's probably not the best. He wasn't exactly trusting all the time, but he would always pick himself back up and, and learn to do that. He moved, went from Egypt back up into Canaan. They were dividing the land between him and his brother, and he didn't take the land. He was uh, supposed to. He offers the first choice to Lot. Continually, he is wanting to try to do the right thing by his family, it seems, or, or to protect people, but not trusting God in doing it. Until finally, he uh, is given an opportunity. He'd already had one son. God promised him that he was going to give him a child, but he, him and Sarah got impatient didn't they? And Sarah says, well, why don't you sleep with my servant and then we'll have a child that way. So Abram says, okay. And he goes ahead and does it and they have a child that God says, no, 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 this isn't what I had in mind for you. And so he ends up getting blessed with his son, Isaac. So he was very, very advanced in age when he finally had this son and God says, okay, now you've received his, but I need to know, I'm going to build a firm foundation for my people. My plan to the world includes you and this foundation. So I need to know that you are all in. So I need you to sacrifice this son that I've given you. And Abraham, the text tells us he didn't think twice. He took his boy. Uh, it's interesting in, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, it says that Abram knew or Abraham knew that God was so powerful that even if he had to go through with it, that God would be able to raise him back up. But nevertheless, he decided to follow after God and to trust him that he knew what was best. And when push came to shove, God says, don't do it. He provides another sacrifice with the ram. I know that you are with me and that you trust me. It's this wonderful story of being able to trust and walk along with God and, and go where he follows. I've asked Rob if you'd like to come up, please. There you go, brother. All right, for those of you who know, this is Rob. And Rob, how many children do you have? I have uh, three and then uh, baby Caleb. Awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about them? Sure. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty biased. I think my uh, children are amazing. I've got Ava, who's 10, for coming up to be 10 here in June. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal kids. Uh, yeah, Ava's a wonderful girl. I'm excited for that. Um, Maya, she's seven, and uh, she's just a, yeah, a, a bright light shining all the time. She's wonderful. And little Emma, um, just a huge, huge blessing. Uh, she just turned five later last week. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit of how you've learned to trust God in your life personally? Okay, that's a huge question. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess I'd have to say uh, the hard way. Um, just that, uh, I guess, constantly falling flat on my face, trying to do things on my own, not trusting in God, trying to do it my way, and learning to uh, trust God. And very quickly, um, I kind of realized who who better 
than the great, almighty, powerful God who created the entire universe, who controls everything, um, keeps us in balance. Our, our life, essentially, is in his hands. And uh, he knows everything. He's in control of all things. Who better to have in control of my life and my future? Awesome. How would you say this has impacted the way that you raise your girls? And Caleb now. So, in a, in a huge way, um, I guess living, trying to live by example, a uh, very difficult thing to do, but uh, these kids aren't fooled in any way. And so, um, basically trying to show them that outside of God, outside of the relationship I have with my God and my Father, um, I'm a failed man. And to really show them how real God is in my life, um, how He Essentially, outside of, of God, um, yeah, I can, I can do nothing. And um, that's, yeah, that's, that's showing them that uh, outside of that relationship, I would need to be constantly apologizing um, and constantly failing. But uh, the real change that God has made in my life. Yeah. I know for myself, having uh, hung out with you guys a lot, seeing how you're always willing to, to put yourself out there and, and to do things that are outside your comfort zone, but even serving and things like that. You've, it's been neat to see you leading them along that way and showing them how to trust like that. It's been awesome. What's the best piece of advice you can give from your experience so far as a dad and, and learning to trust? Okay. Um, I may not be the guy to be giving advice, but... Um, it's always something. Yeah. So I still have time to learn, but uh, one major thing would be um, to fathers, to spend as much time as you possibly can with your kids, um, that grace, and uh, yeah, just to be patient, kind, I'm speaking to myself here, um, that patience to uh, constantly be loving on them, and uh, to, to do everything you can to live by example. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Rob. Yeah, we got to practice what we preach, don't we, guys? All right, and so our next person up is Jacob. Now, Jacob was Abraham's grandson. And Jacob, as we find out as we're reading through the, the text, that Jacob means deceiver. So right away, we're, we're expecting something interesting to happen with this guy. And, and he was able to live up to his name rapidly. He was, a, he was one in a set of twins that was born to Isaac, Abraham's son, and Rebekah. And so they're born, and, and even though he was the second one out, technically the second born, and usually in the society, the firstborn would be the one that would be getting the blessing. God said, no, Jacob is going to be the one that's going to get blessed, that the older is going to serve the younger. And right away, this was a, an interesting aspect of, of the whole familial structure, how things would work out there, because everything would start to push back against that. When it finally t- came time to give the, the fatherly blessing, Isaac called, it was well advanced his age, called his older son Esau to come and get the blessing. And Rebecca at this point, who had shown favor to Jacob, decided that no, the way that this is supposed to go down is Jacob's supposed to get the blessing. I want Jacob to get the blessing. This is the way it's supposed to work. This is what God said, but we're going to take this into our own hands. And, and we'll see in the Bible often this is how things go, right? We, we tend to not like the speed with which things are happening. And I say the Bible, this is real life too. But So we try to, we try to push it. We try to, to escalate things quicker. 
And so she ends up tricking uh, Isaac into giving the blessing into her son Jacob. Esau loses it. He's, he's unimpressed with how this goes on uh, because he's, he's been fooled uh, in doing this. And then so Jacob, under the guise of having to find a husband, or sorry, a wife, gets sent off into, uh, to see Rebecca's brother Laban. So while he's up there, he ends up not getting one wife, but two wives. There's a bunch of, you know, interesting story that goes along the line with that, where he's doing his best to try to trust God, because this story is really about this blessing, and he's trying to earn God's blessing and figure it out, but he's doing it in a very broken way. This The family has had many situations that have come up, and he's trying to do the best with what he can but he's, he's failing, but he perseveres. He continually keeps going. And there's one point where he's off and, and God comes to him in a dream. And it's a very almost psychedelic dream. It's very interesting. There's angels and a ladder. And God says to him that he is going to bless him, that this is, he is the, the person that's going to be getting the promise that he's going to be working through him. And, and Jacob says, okay, as long as you do these things, God, then I will follow you. So there's always seems to be a string attached or a carrot at the end of the stick for him. Until finally, after all of these mistakes, and but still yet trying to fall forward, trying to fail forward, he ends up on the side of a river. Esau has come after him. He sends all of his family, all of his stuff across the river, and he stays on the other side by himself. And out of nowhere comes a man. And I don't know if this is normal in, in this society or whatever, but they start to wrestle. And so as they're wrestling, uh, he, at one point he realizes that he's actually wrestling with God and he won't let him go. At this point, this is where it clicks for Jacob and he finally realizes what he needs to do and that's to not let God go. And God finally says to him, I'm going to bless you. And he changes his name to Israel and then we know that this is the, the people group that God would use to bless the entire world would be through this. So he would finally receive that blessing as he was supposed to, but he did it under God's time and for God's provision. I've asked Mike if he would come up and share some of his experience. Thanks, man. This is Mike. So, Mike, uh, how many kids do you have? And where's he? He's in Guelph, uh, so I'm. Uh, we're empty nesters on probation. He's, 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 he's living up there, so and uh, probation is good so far. <laughs> awesome! I got a ways to go. Uh, yes. <laughs> have you ever been tempted uh, in, in your time as being a father? Have you ever been tempted to withdraw from life due to challenges that you face as a man and as a father? Oddly enough, the, the big temptations or the big things, challenges that happen in my life, I tend to do better um, because there's no other there's no other talk than to turn to God. It, yeah. It's pretty easy. It's the daily slog that got me down. Um, trying to uh, set an example, as Rob was talking about, and when you're failing and just feeling uh, totally inadequate and giving up sometimes, and that's kind of where I struggled through. Well, I still struggle through all my years of trying to be an example for my kids, and, and that's been my challenge for sure. Hmm. How have you seen to God at work through these challenges that you've experienced? Well, 
a lot of times, I mean, God will talk to you in many ways. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's my wife, sometimes it's my kids, sometimes it's just his word. And yeah. he will rarely let you go away too long. You can kind of hide away for a bit, but he will not let you do that for long. And sometimes he brings you back very gently and kindly, and sometimes not so much. <laughs> yeah. As Jacob found out, sometimes he, yeah. he dislodges your hip. Yeah. Uh, so... What's the uh, what's the biggest piece of advice you could give for us guys that are are starting out? Well, and you've already said it that uh, we're going to mess up, and uh, I, I learned fairly young to to admit that to my kids. And uh, if you want to teach them about forgiveness, ask them to forgive you when you make mistakes. And if you want to learn about forgiveness, ask a kid for forgiveness because the forgiveness that they give is is the closest you'll see to God on this earth where it's completely forgotten, it's completely done, and you're completely forgiven. And uh, so so that would be my advice. Just make sure you ask your kids for forgiveness when you mess up. Awesome. Cool. Oh, hey, thanks, Mike. Perfect. I love this, don't you? It's It's awesome. So finally, we have Joseph, and I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. This isn't Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. This is actually a, a, who I kind of look at as an underrated or unsung hero in the Bible, and this is Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. And I, I love this guy because he came up into a situation that most guys would run for the hills from. So you have to imagine he's, he's sitting there one day, and, and his, his wife-to-be, he's betrothed to a woman named Mary, and she comes up to him one day and says, I got something to tell you. I'm pregnant. And Joseph's sitting there, and you can just imagine, because he knows what hasn't occurred in their relationship yet. So he's, all he can think of is that she had gone astray, that she had gone off with somebody else. And so he does something that is incredibly kind and merciful. He could have shamed her. He could have, you know, thrown her out and done whatever because you need to, in, in those days, you needed to separate almost like a divorce. Even if you weren't married, the betrothal still necessitated sort of a legal separation. So he, he decided, he said, okay, we can do this, but we'll do it quietly. We can, and then we can go and then you can save the shame. It's unbelievable. But that night, God comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph, it's okay. I got this. This is for me. And I need you on board. I want you to call this boy Jesus, and I want you to help raise him. He's my son, but I need you to look out for him and to look after Mary. And like a champ, he does it. He wakes up the next day, and he goes through what surely would have been a shameful scene. Because, I mean, other people, right, you can do the math. Right? Like, all of a sudden, there's, they're not married yet, but all of a sudden, there's a kid coming and, and all this stuff. And so he's sitting there in the society knowing that people are looking funnily at them, but he decides to stand up and, and do it anyway. And he does it in incredible ways. It says that after Jesus was born, they fulfill all of the requirements of the law. So he made sure that stuff between him and God and his family and God was taken care of. We take him to the temple, raised him up with the scriptures and, and knowing who his heavenly father was. Jesus understood all of that. But not only that, is, is his dad, Joseph, took him through the little things in life too, didn't he? He he was a carpenter himself, and, and we know that Jesus ended up becoming a carpenter. So he took him to work with him. 
And you can just imagine little Jesus coming up there and, and his dad showing him how to go through these things. And as he's learning them, he's learning how to be a man. And he learned that from Joseph. It's so important to think of this and to know how amazing that relationship was for them. He taught him not just the religious life, which was so important, but he taught him life skills as well. I've asked my friend Harrison to come up and he's going to, to share a little bit. So this is Harrison, and Harrison's not a dad. No. <laughs> There's no, no funny announcement coming. Harrison's a son, and uh, I wanted to get a son's perspective. So Harrison, what has your dad taught you about work? Um, well, he's taught me just in general work, um, to work hard. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a pretty easy answer. Um, but uh, he's also, if you didn't know, he's an air traffic controller, and uh, he's kind of been my foot in the door into that business and so um, the last year and a half I've been training to be an air traffic controller myself Um, and so he's taught me not one-on-one and being the one to actually teach me the job and um, but he's kind of led the example of how to do it he's uh, given me the temperament whether he likes it or not Um, he's given me the wisdom and kind of the um, even walking into the building People know that I'm Larry's son, and I automatically just like, oh, check mark. He's a good guy. He's going to be <laughs> like everyone likes him at work, and it's an interesting atmosphere. And he uh, he's really paved the way for me. And he um, it's kind of, it's interesting. You come home, and it's kind of a hard thing to talk about because very few people kind of understand what's going on. So I think it kind of works for both of us, where we finally he, like he himself has someone to uh, kind of understand what he's what like he comes home and says what an altimeter is and. <laughs> No one knows what an altimeter is. and uh, I don't. I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah, it's cool. Awesome. And you actually just passed uh, these heavy exams too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm on the floor now and working with someone over your shoulder. So if you see an airplane falling in the sky, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, Harrison, what has your dad taught you about serving? Uh, I think he's been an awesome example at serving. He, uh, he's a really humble guy. He's a man of few words but a lot of actions. He... Um, uh, even recently, my mom and I are sitting there and um, with a dilemma, and we want to get back at someone because they're <laughs> not get back at them, but like they've done something to bug us, and so like guess what? I'm not going to do anything to help you out. But my dad will come. My dad comes in behind and he says, "No, we're called to serve. We're called to whether these people deserve it or not. Um, we're called to serve and do our part and show uh, love to them." And uh, he does service and does things behind the scenes and nobody has any idea because he does it for the right reasons and um, doesn't look for anything uh, from it. I can attest to that. I get to see Larry showing up at random times through the week. Hey, coming in, stopping by to fix something. How has your dad taught you about uh, treating people? Or what has your dad taught you about treating people? Yeah, um, I actually wrote that, like, you obviously gave me this uh, ahead of time and I wrote down a big list of all these attributes um, and it's really like something I like. I'm not a reflecting kind of person. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to see all these different things that, like, growing up, um, he's really a man that uh, leads by example, and he's shown me uh, one of the biggest things is to be humble and to be kind, and um, just be an inviting person. So he he leads on this uh, 
these characteristics that just allow him to be somebody that anybody can walk up to in the street. He's a six-foot-tall six man and um, pretty large guy. Like, <laughs> So I don't know if that's like a super inviting look to him, but he just has this personality, he has this atmosphere that just brings anybody in. Um, he's taught me to be, especially like in sports and stuff, to compete hard, but understand that you're there to respect everyone around you and to, and to love and care. And um, I don't know, he's done a lot of, yeah. Cool. And finally, what has uh, Larry taught you about God? Um, well, like the theme, I guess I've been learning about him is that he's a man that leads by example. And I think that I see a lot of God reflected through him. And you can um, really learn to see what, who God is by seeing someone that truly loves him, truly follows him. So um, I don't know, I just look at my dad and kind of see what God would be like. And uh, if, if, if my dad loves me like he does, then uh, who knows? Like, I, like, it gives me a slight taste of what God might actually love me for. He, um, yeah, he's taught me that God is a real thing. He's not something we just read about or talk about. Um, he's someone to have a relationship with. And uh, he's shown me, a little, even just in like his marriage, like uh, God calls you to love your wife like he loves the church. Yeah. And so to see how much he loves his wife, I can't even fathom how much he loves the church and how much um, God is capable of loving. Amen, brother. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Hey. I think this is why I was like so excited for this morning because I, I knew it was coming. Well, I didn't know all of that. But. So we, these are some of the things that we can think about as, as we think about God the Father and, and ways that we can emulate that is there's a the deep sense of trust, learning to trust Him and to persevere in that trust even though we are going to fall, we're going to fall forward. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Samuel Beckett and he says, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better, fail better, because we're going to make mistakes, and we need to be able to, to fail forward as it goes. So we have these amazing, the idea of trust, the perseverance, and then being able to pass it along, right? We need to be able to pass these things along so other people can learn from that, our sons, our daughters, our friends. So as we can see, guys, being a, a good dad or a man means, it means getting after it. It means being intentional and it means keeping after it. One of my favorite verses and, and promises of God is in Philippians 1, six, and where he says that he's going to continue this work that he started in us until the day his son returns. And that's a promise that we can hold on to. God is not going to give up on us, and neither should we. We shouldn't be given up on us either. Let's stick together and try to stir one another up as we move forward. So this is how we can get from potentially, you know, a bunch of yahoos up in the woods in a wagon, right, up to no good, to a community that is exemplifying God's love and his justice and his beauty and his goodness and his truth in, his, in the community. We can do that by looking to Christ and what he did with his heavenly father. Because as we know, Jesus was about his father's business. So we need to be about our heavenly father's business as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for today. Thank you for this incredible reminder of your fatherhood, your goodness, your beauty, your compassion, your justice, all of these things that make you who you are and somebody that we can look to not in fear or 
because we potentially had a, a poor relationship with our father, but someone we can look to and, and get excited about, someone that we do want to have a relationship, that we do want to be able to, you know, jump into relationship and, and enjoy. Bless our time now together as we are going to be singing again and then moving off from this day. We ask in your name.